Hello and welcome to Let's Enter the Arena. I'm your host, VM Campos, and this is the podcast where I talk with a member of the Magic the Gathering community, where we focus on Magic Arena. Well, everyone, I hope you're having a good 2020 so far. There's a lot of magic on the horizon, and there's been a lot of magic that has been in our rearview mirror. So I've got back a guest who was on the podcast in 2019, and I've brought him back to talk about magic in the past, present, and future. Please welcome back Zariah. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, VM Campos, great to be back. Thank you for being back. Pulling back the curtain, we kind of... Uh, decided on a recording at the last minute and we were able to make it work so thank you so much for that yeah no problem it's fun to be on oh thanks yeah it's always great to talk magic with people that like to talk about magic yeah so welcome back to the podcast uh let uh, the listeners know where they can find you online and such uh you can find me online uh at zariah.tv um I'm on Twitter at Zariah underscore B, uh, and I stream on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Zariah. Um, that's Z-E-R-I-A-H, uh, if you need the spell. Um, yeah. Everything can be found from Zariah.tv, though. They've got links to uh, other places like my Instagram and Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. That's really good, having a centralized location where everyone can just go, and as long as they remember how to spell it and that it's .tv, then they'll be able to find you, find all of your endeavors. Yeah. Also gives me a nice email for uh, business purposes. Mm-hmm. What did you end up going with? Something like admin at Zariah.tv or, or Zariah at Zariah.tv? I think officially my email is Zariah at Zariah. Uh, but usually I also have a, a uh, contact at Zariah points to the same box. So I usually use that one. Okay. Sounds more natural. Yeah. So in general, uh, how have you been? How did you enjoy the, uh, the crossover to the, to the new decade? So far, so good. Uh, had a really good January. Um, things are starting to pick back up in my uh my personal life you know work getting busy and all that but mm-hmm. otherwise pretty good um i've been playing around with arena um i actually just hit uh constructed gold rank mm. uh for the first time uh on thursday mm-hmm. so that's really fun oh congrats on that what uh maybe we'll get into it as we as we get into the main podcast but what uh maybe what deck or decks uh, helped you get there um, I looked through the decks that they used at the World Championship series. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? MTG Worlds. Yeah. Um, I made a, a bit of a modified Red Deck Wins. Uh, I forget mm-hmm. whose it was based on, um, but I swapped out a few things, and so far it's working really, really well. Um, I think I only had one loss out of about six mm-hmm. or seven games that night. I was able to pretty easily get from silver to gold. That's really nice. Yeah, I did something like that as well. I was looking at those World Championship decks, and I was playing around with Autumn Burchett's deck. It seemed like a very complex deck, but very interesting. And um, the the Mono Red also was a top contender. It was, it was in the top eight, or uh, several people were in the top eight with that sort of deck. So it's always fun that we can take the pros' decks and make them our own and then make them work. Yeah. I always have a little bit of a problem. I want to get more into like playing the Azorius control, mm-hmm. uh, but my 
I need more rare wild cards. I'm always lacking. Yeah. It seems that the rare ones are the ones that are a little harder to keep keep a hold of. And the like for me, I've got a few mythics that that are just there, not really doing much. And then I need the rare ones. So it's kind of interesting that the rare ones are rarer than the mythics. I know. I still don't have full playsets of a bunch of the uh, dual lands even. Mm-hmm. So that can be frustrating at times, but I work around it. Uh, there's a deck I really want to build. I make substitutions and try mm-hmm. and get as close as I can. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to do it. When I was trying to work with that uh, with that uh, Autumn Burchette deck, it was the blue-green... What was it? Blue-green-red? It was three colors, but... I uh, didn't have some of those dual lands, and I had to get the really like slow comes into play tapped lands, and it definitely is more of a challenge playing it that way instead of a shock land or a scry land that lets you get going a little faster. Oh, for sure. Yeah, the uh, I do miss the check lands that we had before the rotation. Mm-hmm. That is one of the ones I miss the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, those could work pretty well if you were able to check uh, the the requirement. What was it again that if you had already a certain land in play, it comes in untapped? Or, or am I thinking of a different one? Yeah, it was that. So um, it would be like a dual land, and it would check for each of the, the basic land types of its colors. Mm. Uh, so even if you had a, a shock land on field, that would count. Mm. Um, and so those ones were pretty fast to get in. Um, I think those are some of my favorites, honestly. They're still there if you play Historic. Have you played uh, very much Historic? Haven't gotten too much into Historic yet. Um, I play a few like friendly uh, uh, brawl games mm-hmm. using the historic cards, but I haven't gotten too much into just playing historic yet. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do see they're they're adding more cards. Uh, they're going back in time and adding more cards from the sets using those. Uh, what do they call them? The historic historic uh, anthologies. That's it. Yeah, the anthologies. Yeah. It's kind of exciting seeing what they're adding in over time. Agreed. I think there's such a wealth of cards to be added that if they judiciously pick a few interesting or cool ones and put them into more anthologies, I think we'd be happy. Um, I'm not sure what the timetable for adding them is because it feels like they added the uh, Historic Anthology 1 a little while ago, so I'm sure we're due for Historic Anthology 2 any day now. Probably. Um, I know they've been talking about trying to get historic uh, eventually in parity with uh, Pioneer format. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, honestly, I would really like to see some of the cards that they had in the game uh, before the beta uh, ended. So yeah. uh, over at the, the Kaladesh block and everything. Mm-hmm. Now remind the listeners: Were you were you playing during that time on the before it was public beta? I was um, just a little bit. I think I started about maybe three or four months before the beta ended. Uh, so Kaladesh and uh, Aether Revolt and everything; those were some of my first mm-hmm. uh, experiences with Magic Arena. Mm-hmm. Same here. When I started it, it was 
uh, Ixalan, and then they added back Amonkhet, and then they added back in Kaladesh, and then eventually went to public beta, and then there was rotation, and those things went away. So rest in peace, Regal Caracal from Amonkhet, and Adorned Pouncer, because I used to have a really fun Selesnia deck, but those cards are no longer in uh, in the system. Yeah, hopefully they can get them added in without too much work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know people were remark- remarking on how uh, they already technically had the cards programmed in, but it's for an older version, so nobody's really sure if it would be, you know, more work to get everything back in the game. Mm-hmm. That's all on their their programmers, you know. Yeah, and they've got a lot on their plate. They've uh, revealed various roadmaps, and there's a lot coming, like uh, real player drafts and just more quality of life and improvements to the game. So who knows what internally um, they've got going on for bringing back those old cards. Yeah. I heard they also brought in a a third party, I think. I don't know if any official announcements have been made, uh, but most people are speculating that they're helping them uh, port the game to mobile. Mm Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. I still wonder how it's going to work on mobile, like on a tablet. Okay, I think that's like a larger area to work with, but like on a regular phone, um, I don't know. Like, I'm sure they've got smart people working on it, and we'll see how it goes. But people, I I keep hearing the clamor, put it on mobile and put it on Mac, and it looks like they're going towards that. Yeah, it'd be really nice. They're probably going to have to make a new style of client hopefully Mm. they can use the same back end but maybe change the front end so it's a little more mobile friendly Mm -hmm. yeah we'll just have to wait and see yeah all right so um one of the topics we were going to talk about was our life in magic arena 2019 a lot happened in that one year we got several sets on arena and off of arena uh several cards i think by one measurement there were like 1700 cards or so 1300 or so that were released only in 2019 so a lot to pick from so how was your general life in magic arena in 2019 I'd say pretty good. Uh, since I'm a newer player, I'm still, you know, really trying to, to hone in on my skills. Uh, so I think most of 2019 was spent, you know, getting familiar with uh, the cards and the rules and, mm-hmm. and how the set rotations work and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically learning, like, the ins and outs of magic. Uh, yeah. So that 2020, I can really hone in on it and uh try to work my way up you know yeah about that rotation it was interesting the the very first few days and weeks of it because i would want to craft a deck that had the new eldraine cards so throne of eldraine was the impetus that did the rotation and so i wanted to use some of those eldraine cards but then with cards that rotated out like from dominaria and i had to stop and tell myself oh no those had rotated so if i still want to do this i need to do it in historic but not standard. What about yourself? Did you find yourself just uh, assuming you had cards that you might not have had anymore? I think there were a few times, uh, there's actually still times where I'm like, oh, what's that one card? Go for it and realize it was, uh, you know, like a Dominaria or Ixalan card that Mm -hmm. rotated out. Mm -hmm. You know, it it, it sucks sometimes because it was like the perfect card, but, Mm -hmm. you know, we work around it. 
Yeah, Cast Down was really useful. Two-mana spell in black that would uh, destroy any non-legendary creature. I thought that one was very, very useful. But right now in black, we've got Murder. That's three mana instead of two. So it's just interesting the ebbs and flows of the cards in terms of this is the perfect one at this moment. And then after rotation or a new set, we get one that might be better or worse. And uh, it's just the the natural kind of cycle of of this game, these uh, rotations. Yeah. Now we have the Murderous Rider. Yeah. Is real popular. And um, do we still have Vraska's Contempt? Did that one rotate? Vraska's Contempt. I don't remember. I believe that one was in Ixalan block, so it's probably not. Yeah, that one's gone. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, I can't even remember half the time. <laughs> Well, that's okay. That's why we've got the, the search feature in the client or various other websites. No, I actually uh, pulled up Arena just so I could have access to the, the library of cards in there. Yeah. I've just got like a deck builder up so I can look up cards if I need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, that deck builder at first, I, I was so used to building cards in real life and laying them out and putting them in nice columns and such. And when I was using the deck builder in Arena, I felt that it wasn't giving me the ability to craft a deck exactly how I wanted. But the more I use it and the more I rely on, well, let me filter out a set. Let me put in a keyword. I like that the keyword search is very loose. Like if you just start to put a part of a word, uh, that's good enough so that you don't have to put the whole amount of words so how do you how are you liking uh deck building virtually honestly i quite like it at time um i think uh sometimes it can force me to look a little bit too much into uh like white especially Mm. uh, since that's the first thing that you see when Mm. you pull up the deck builder so i'll start building a new deck and the first thing i see is like oh look at all these great like white cards i can throw in there and it's like well no maybe i should try something else Mm. Um, although speaking of i'm actually glad after the the newest set that we can get a a little bit of mono white going it's working a little bit better than uh during throne of eldraine That's, uh, I seem to sort of, for a fun deck, gravitate towards mono white. Um, I'm trying to, I like the life gain decks, even though like those aren't like the best tier decks or whatever, but I think they're fun if you throw in Healer's Hawks and then now the new Heliod and, uh, Daxos, I believe. There's a lot of like life gain synergies that could be had. Yeah. And even if you venture outward, I think, uh, Especially with the newest set, enchantments are really fun. So, uh, Mono White, Orzov, and Selesnya enchantments are three of the decks that I just find most fun to play right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the best decks uh, from a winning perspective, but just really fun to play. And, mm-hmm. You know, make some big creatures off of like three or four spells that mm-hmm. can, you know, wipe the board and like turn two. what are some enchantments in black that you like you mentioned orzov uh what's in there so with black um so with the orzov deck that i built um it's kind of focused around two things so i've got hateful eidolon in there Mm. uh which makes it so that whenever a uh, creature that is enchanted dies uh, draw a card for each of your enchantments that you controlled that was attached to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then I have white enchantments to boost 
to my own creatures, like uh, all that glitters and mm. um, sentinel's eyes. Uh, and for my opponents, I have things like um, what are what are some of those black uh, dead weight? That's mm. a that's a good one, uh, so that I can try and kill off an opponent's creature and then draw a card off of it from uh, hateful eidolon. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, Meyer's grasp, which is the next level up of that uh, dead weight. It's uh, it's that enchantment is one and a black, so it's just one more than the dead weight, but it's minus three, minus three to the opponent's creatures. So if they have a big creature, it gets really weakened, or if it's got, uh, if there's a creature within that, uh, three toughness range, it's, it's done for. Yeah. I also have, um, inevitable end. Mm-hmm. That's a fun one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it enchants a creature and it has at the beginning of your upkeep sacrifice a creature. Uh, so it makes a fun uh, decision play for making your opponents decide whether or not that big creature is actually worth keeping on the field. <laughs> yes. The flavor text on that is pretty epic as well. Uh, it's um it really fits with what the card does with flavor wise, art wise, game wise. I think they, they, I think it was a home run, this whole flavor of, of Theros Beyond Death. Absolutely. Um, super fun. Uh, I absolutely love the enchantments, but uh, the gods themselves are really cool mm-hmm. just from a lore perspective and, like their artwork is really nice and their their effects are often just pretty strong mm-hmm. uh, almost game winning at times yeah like keeping with that uh mono white deck heliod three mana uh enchantment creature god and even if you never get the devotion to get it out it's still doing impressive things and it's indestructible so you can't naturalize it you can't disenchant it it's just hanging around there you've got to exile it uh, and every time you're gaining life you're giving a creature plus one plus one you can pay the mana to give lifelink to a creature so yeah a lot of these can be very game ending yeah uh, i know in the selesnia enchantment deck that i have it uses the planeswalker calyx uh, and Calyx's minus three is exile target creature or enchantment you don't control until target enchantment you control leaves the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And because those gods are indestructible enchantments, uh, it's really nice to use that minus three and tuck some of your opponent's enchantments and creatures away underneath that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting in terms of white often has that sort of like conclave tribunal or Ixalan's binding effect where, or nowadays, uh, a return from, uh, with a banishing light where you exile your opponent's things until your enchantment goes away. And with so many enchantments running around in this set, uh, Calyx's minus three is, is really powerful. Yeah, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and an enchantment head of decks is Plus one and his minus seven can both benefit greatly. Uh, plus one is look at the top four cards of your library. You may deal enchantment card from among them and put that card into your hand. So that one can both get you enchantments and enchantment creatures pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And then the minus seven is just return all enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. That's That's a good way to finish the game off right there. Yeah, and it doesn't take too much effort to build 
enchantment heavy decks in in the new set when i got back into magic in 2017 i'd been away for it for a long time and when i got back in someone had uh, an original theros deck from their brother and i believe it was ben so he was showing me those cards and i hadn't been into magic for a while so the frames were new and a lot of the templating the wording was new but then the biggest one of the biggest new things was he showed me this creature that was an enchantment creature and i thought how can they do that this is an enchantment and a creature so you mean it dies to disenchant and such and he said yep this is a this is a set that came out a few years ago and it's got this new paradigm and so i was not playing during their original theros which was 2013 i believe and now playing it now in 2020 it is a really interesting set really synergistic great lore and, and flavor and, and everything like that yeah um i actually just got that uh the secret lair that dropped over the mm. last weekend with mm. all the gods from the original theros set oh very nice um, i've been having a lot of fun going through those and uh, figuring out what do i want to do with them now those haven't shift uh shipped out yet have they I actually got mine already. Oh. Um, some people, like the original email that I got said it wasn't going to ship until March or April, but hmm. uh, I already got mine by Wednesday of last week. Uh, so I guess I just got it. You know, I got my order in soon enough to yeah. get that, that first shipment, I guess. Mm -hmm. Really cool. Did it have any uh, any other secret thing with it that you can divulge? Because I know that on the on the very first secret drop, they also had the stained glass planeswalkers. Yeah. So each of the five secret layers had a, a planeswalker with them. Uh, I know the the best one that it pulled was a uh, uh, Nisa who, uh, Nisa who shakes the world. Oh. Okay. Wow. Very nice. That's really cool that they're adding that extra bit of value. Um, you're getting the cards that you want. They're in a really cool box. And then the, the card itself is premium foil and di in a different style that it, the original gods had never been in. And you get an extra Planeswalker. So that sounds like a really good value. Yeah, I quite like it. I've been looking through them, and I think I'm going to build a couple of commander decks around a few of them. That's what I was going to ask you. How many of them would you put into decks and how many would you have like maybe as a sort of like a display collectible or whatever? Um, I think a few of them I'm probably mostly keeping for collecting purposes. Um, my friend had a good idea and it was something I thought of too, maybe trying to make a, a five color deck with all the gods in there. Yeah. Uh, although I'm not sure who I'd use to command that deck. Um, and then... There was Perforos, uh, God of the Forge. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that one was especially intriguing uh, about maybe making a mono red commander deck mm -hmm. uh, where the goal was to try and uh, win the game with commander damage. Oh, sure. I often hear in various commander podcasts or articles that red is one of the trickier colors to play in commander, unfortunately, because it's so set up for one-on-one -on -one battles so when you've got three other opponents that you're if you're maybe focusing the commander damage on one opponent you're leaving a flank open for your other opponents and in real life anecdotally one of the people in my play group he he has an an atali um that one uh, elder um elder dinosaur from ixalan the red 
dinosaur. Uh, it's a really cool card when it attacks. It basically steals the top card off, off, off of everyone's deck and they can play it for free. But they often have a hard time closing the game because of that. That red seems to be very good with a 1v1 and when it's in a multiplayer it suffers a little bit. But um, I'm sure it's still, uh, depending on your playgroup, it's still a, a fun way to play. I think Perforos kind of gets around that because it's um, it's more its ability that would get you the commander damage win uh, because its ability is whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control uh, it deals two damage to uh, each opponent mm. okay. so I think if I was to build around that I would try to uh, make creatures that come in and maybe generate more creatures very quickly because mm -hmm. uh, if you get 13 creatures on field and activate that ability uh, that's 26 damage to all your opponents, and you oh, win yeah. the game from that. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. And there's uh, there could be a lot of like cheap, uh, smaller creatures uh, as one drops and two drops, and then there's some spells that make like two goblins per one card. So yeah, it, it seems like it could work. Yeah, that was my thought. I have to look through. It's just a an idea floating. That's a great thing, as usual, that with so many cards, there's so many possibilities and so many types of decks. So in 2019, we got a few sets released. We had Ravnica Allegiance, War of the Spark, Corset 2020, and Throne of Eldraine, all on Arena. And then off of Arena, we had various other things, some Commander products, Modern Horizons, um, etc. Is there any deck that uh, really stood out to you that really is still on your mind that came out in 2019? I think one of the ones that interested me the most when it came out, and honestly, I'm still impressed by it, is the uh, three-color elemental decks that you always saw um, based around, um, what was it, uh, the Lotus of the Royal and... Mm -hmm. um, Risen Reef. Reef and that sort of thing? Yeah. From uh, Corset 2020? Yeah. Um I also just really liked uh, the War of the Spark block. Um, I know it kind of had a little bit of power creep with all of those Planeswalkers, but I really like what they did with the Planeswalkers in that block mm -hmm. because they acted as enchantments and Planeswalkers. Uh, yeah. and it introduced the, the rare and the uncommon Planeswalkers that did a little bit less, but kind of got more value because of it. Mm -hmm. It was just a really fun set. Definitely on Arena, the the system helps you with all of those static abilities because imagine playing in real life with one or two or three because they're uncommon, those planeswalkers, and all of these static abilities just stopping some actions and then forgetting about them and then you have to backtrack with your with your opponents. Well, in Arena, I, I like that there's a little animation or a sound or whatever to remind you, well, this static ability is going on, don't forget about this. Um, but even after this amount of time, it still happens that I forget. Just last night when I was on the stream, I was building up a huge direct damage to my opponent, I was using the explosion part of expansion explosion that uh, that uh, that split card that lets you pump in a bunch of mana to do damage to a target and then draw cards from it. And I had pumped it up to 16 damage to to hit my opponent who had 15 life. 
and I was tapping all my mana and then I pointed it at them and then I made it go off and then it made the little animation to remind me, oh, the Wanderer is currently on the field and the Wanderer prevents all non-combat damage. <laughs> so, womp womp. Yeah, that's... I do remember. Um, that's a bad one. I, w- I would really forget about the Wanderer because I don't know if that one's um, ever really super popular in most decks. Uh, the one that was popular that I always still forget is um, things like uh, Ashiok not letting you uh, search your library mm-hmm. or uh, what's what's the other one? Narset not yeah. letting you draw a second card each turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those uh, definitely Narset. I, I still see a lot. Uh, I see I, I see Ashiok, although in my decks, I don't have too much of an issue of, of searching but then that mill ability, if you don't take care of it, it definitely takes a big chunk out of your deck. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Um, I think I was actually using a few of those the other day. Uh, Arena had the uh, Fires of Perforos event where mm. it's kind of popper-esque where you could only use uncommons and commons. Uh, and I, I know one of the decks that I built was a Demir deck with mm. Ashiok in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a format that in paper I had heard of it as peasant because there's popper for only commons and then peasants peasant format for uncommons. But on Arena, um, Wizards is trying to promote it as uh, artisan, which I guess is fine because it has a less negative connotation. Uh, I wouldn't want to be a peasant; I'd rather be an artisan. But that's still the same commons and uncommons, and uh, you you did a Demir deck there. So, what were some of the things in it? Uh, I built it kind of around uh, the uh, Guilds of Ravnica block. So mm-hmm. It was mostly a surveil deck. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the main theme of it. So things like uh, Spy Bug and mm-hmm. uh, Thoughtbound Phantasm, mm-hmm. uh, some. You know, counters like Sinister Sabotage and uh, stuff like Thought Erasure and Disinformation Campaign to yeah. uh, punish my opponents for having a hand. Mm-hmm. Definitely that um, that Thought Erasure, is that's a tier card right there, and it's in Uncommon, so uh, I think it, uh, it it obviously helped that Demir deck a lot. I When Ravnica was, was pretty new, that block... Those two, those two blocks, that is, I was trying to do some sort of fun Demir surveil deck. I kind of like that mechanic that it was a variation of Scry, but you put stuff to the graveyard, and if you have graveyard synergy, it helped you even more. Um, and in a, an artisan deck, you can't have her, but I liked having Etrata, the silencer, in my Demir decks, uh, the unblockable 3-5 that would exile your opponent's creatures, and if they've got three creatures in exile, they lose the game. Oh yeah, she was super fun. If you had uh, enough of her, though, because you also uh, after she attacked, she had to go back to your deck for a bit. Yes. Uh, so that was always a little bit of a challenge. Now I remember reading that you can respond to her to her uh, reshuffling ability by bouncing her back to your hand with like an unsummon. But you've gotta if you really need to if you really want to do that, you have to hold priority. And in Magic Arena, that's not automatic. So it's like you're going to react to your own action. You have to go into full control mode, which is pressing control on the keyboard. 
and you have to kind of keep turning it back on. So it, I tried to bounce her back to get her back to my hand rather than back to the uh, graveyard. But most of the time I would forget. I wouldn't turn on full control and she'd just go back to the back to the library. Uh, yeah, that does make sense. I've seen that happen a few times and quite often I do forget to uh, keep priority on my own side. Mm -hmm. uh, but getting better at remembering that over time at least. Mm -hmm. Now let's say on the other side of the coin, were there any sets released on Arena in 2019 that weren't, that you maybe didn't like the flavor or the synergies in the cards? Like what would you, what would be your lower ranked set for 2019? I would say, um, besides the elementals, I didn't really feel like there was a whole lot going on set 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the ones that I felt was maybe a little bit weaker than some of the other ones. Um, but it's a core set, so I know that it doesn't usually have a lot of uh, you know flavor with it. It's more just these are the cards that are the basis for you know the next uh, year or so, mm -hmm. and then everything else builds off of that. Mm -hmm. I would uh, I would agree on that. I I like playing limited as well, and I felt that I had a pretty good run on the various sets until Corset 2020, where I wasn't able to win as much as other sets. Like for me, uh, a good run on limited is getting like five wins, uh, you know, five and three. But I was lucky to get two wins in Corset 2020, which actually that also happened in Throne of Eldraine, but I like the flavor on that a lot. So for whatever reason, it was a little too complicated for me, or or I wasn't just able to put together cohesive enough decks in Corset 2020, so I kind of ranked that one a little bit lower in Limited, although it does have a lot of kind of cool cards, like a mishmash of cards, and that's always fun uh, to round off the rest of your decks. Yeah. I feel like between that one and the, the last set the uh, m19 mm -hmm. i kind of preferred m19 for a few reasons uh, i feel like some of the cards that it had as support were a little bit better uh, across the board but mm -hmm. of course at 2020 still has a few things that are getting better over time uh, i feel mm -hmm. Well, it had uh, Veil of Summer, which was so good it had to be banned. That was that one green card, green instant, that uh, protected your spells from counters and so forth and let you draw cards. And it was an uncommon, so uh, I think there was something for everyone in, in the set, even though it wasn't uh, as cohesive as it could have been, I suppose. Yeah. Also, I had a few... You have the Cavalier. Uh, oh, and those yeah. were very fun. Mm -hmm. uh, I know the the blue cavalier especially everybody keeps playing in a lot of yeah. decks right now. Uh, cavalier of Gales. Yeah, I think people sort of go by default a lot of times to blue cards. Uh, I think blue is a very powerful color, but I think just kind of automatically people board in a lot of blue cards that cavalier it lets you um what does it do again it lets you kind of like uh, scry some cards i should just look it up instead of guess but let's see here Gales. i believe it's uh you draw three cards and then you put two cards from your hand on top of your left 
Oh yes. Okay. Yes. And then when it, mm-hmm. yeah, when it dies, you uh, you scry too after you shuffle it into your library. Mm-hmm. And then a five-five flyer isn't anything to scoff at either. So all those cavaliers were were really cool. I liked using the the white one because when that one entered, it would let you destroy any uh, any non-land permanent and turn it into a golem into a three-three. Golem. So when uh, the opponent had something really powerful, I'd just bring in my cavalier, and then it would strike it down and turn it into a, a golem instead. Yeah, I also know the uh, the green one, Cavalier of Thorns. That one was usually used as a game ender because it would start doubling. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, no, I, th- I might be thinking about something else. Maybe the Great Hand. Yeah, this one. Maybe. There was one out there that it doubled your creature's uh, power. Hmm. I'm not sure which one that was now. I thought it was the Cavalier, but uh, it looks like I'm wrong. So, Well, there's many, many creatures that came out in uh, 2019, so they can sen- sometimes run together. Um, but that's the power of, of the game, I think, that they're always trying new things in sometimes creating something and sometimes iterating on something and there's just a lot of deck building possibilities true yeah i think uh there are a lot of really fun cards that came out like uh ember cleave <laughs> so you believed in the cleave i do believe in the cleave very powerful maybe a little too powerful i think it's not quite at the level where it might be on the banning block, but it's it's mm. probably almost there. Well, I think sometimes they ban things because by themselves or with le- very little setup, they're very powerful. This requires a creature to attach it to, and it usually requires several creatures to lower the cost, and you've got to do it, do it during combat. So I think there's just too many pieces that it needs to be bannable compared to Oko with by itself it's removing threats it's creating threats it's getting out of range of direct damage so um comparing it that way i don't think the ember cleave will be will be uh put out to pasture no i don't believe it actually would i'm just uh musing that it's probably almost there yeah not quite there just like near the ballpark mm-hmm. if you try to hit that ball with that ember cleave it'll never come back that's true <laughs> and it has trample so it won't even stop you <laughs> yeah are there any cards uh that stand out from 2019 that you liked either for their power level for their uh flavor or art or anything like that um there's a bunch, honestly, because that includes, I think you gave a list, uh, Return to Ravnica, War of the Spark, Eldraine, and of course at 2020, yeah. uh, War of the Spark alone gave us so many really cool cards, um, all of the Planeswalkers especially, and, and all of the alternate arts that we got from those mm-hmm. uh, were just super nice. And then the Throne of Eldraine cards with their, like, beautiful storybook yeah. uh, alternate arts too uh, just some really nice cards that came out 
definitely those uh, showcase cards, starting with Eldraine and continuing into uh, Theros Beyond Death. Those like alternate okay. borders that hadn't been shown before; those were really nice. Did you did you get any uh, any cards in real life or, or or focus on on arena? Um, I got some cards in real life. I didn't end up of Throne of Eldraine, but I actually got uh, boxes of uh, Theros mm -hmm. recently, mm -hmm. um, just because that fits so well with my. Uh, some of my decks that I had. Mm -hmm. Did you get any nice of those alternate art uh, constellation cards? Oh, I got a few of those, yeah. Um, what was the one? I think I pulled... Uh, I pulled a full art something. Mm -hmm. I can't remember which one it was offhand. Fortunately, now I've got a cat on my lap, so it's... <laughs> Hard oh, to maneuver. That's right. I got the alternate art uh, Ashiach Nightmare Muse. Oh, cool. Yeah. I got the uh, alternate art Elspeth, so they, we've got to battle them. Oh, nice. Yeah, there were some really cool cards. I actually really like those alternate arts because they're... Uh, I'm not sure what the Elspeth one looks like, but the Ashiach kind of looks like a statue of her mm -hmm. uh, standing in a temple. Uh, a statue of them i believe the character is genderless which is which is really interesting because it doesn't have a oh, face true. and it has a really weird voice and it's a nightmare muse elspeth's card is also very much like that in terms of a really interesting like alabaster statue sort of style is that how that ashiok is i think so yeah like a like a light stone yeah yeah, I believe they're in very similar styles then. Mm -hmm. That's cool that they're putting these like really chase variations of things because you can, at a much lower or a much higher rarity, you can get the the full art version. And then I think they're also in foil. So you have like these higher and higher levels of rarity, which if you happen to crack one, it's really fun to get one. And uh, if it fits into your deck, even better. For sure. That's a lot of value out of one card. Yeah. That Ashiok one, even by itself, that's another one that's very powerful. It makes these nightmare creatures that when they block or attack, you, you're kind of stealing cards off the top of the opponent's deck, and then eventually you can play their cards. Yeah. I believe so. Did you play Arena during the time when we got to preview those uh, those cards? There was like an event for a few days where you can play the Elspeth or uh, Ashiok Planeswalkers? I had seen that. I didn't get a chance to play that event. I don't remember why exactly, but I don't think it was much while that event was going on. I think it was a very short event anyway. I think it passed by a lot of people's uh, past, past people's radars. But what was cool about it is you could play those brand new Planeswalkers before Theros came out in a few weeks, and they even had thrown in a few Mox cards, and there was Black Lotus to play with. That's right. I do remember seeing that, because actually the first thing that I saw was uh, someone had posted the artwork uh, of the Black Lotus from Arena, mm -hmm. and I saw that, and I was like... They didn't reprint Black Lotus. That's <laughs> that's on the restricted list or the uh, what do you call it? The, the reserve, reserve list. list yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> and then I found out later that, no, nah, it's just on uh, MTG Arena for now. So yeah. I was like, okay, that's that's a fun way of getting around that. Yeah. And I hope that they do more like that later. Yeah, same here. So I was able to play that for a little bit. I don't think I played any Black Lotus, but I played a couple of those mocks. And now I see why those are powerful. Those are zero casting cost artifacts that give you uh, mana so you can just accelerate so fast. My opponent had the perfect hand, however. They were able to play a Black Lotus and a land and I guess one of the mocks. And they were able to summon that Cavalier of Dawn on turn one. Oof. So 4-6 Vigilance creature is not fun on turn one. Well, not fun for me, but really fun for them absolutely yeah that i've seen some of the combos that people were able to get off in the past from especially the the black lotus and mm-hmm. yeah it it makes a lot of sense why it's uh restricted in almost every format mm-hmm. <laughs> so what did you think about the brand new style of full art lands in in uh, theros in theros beyond death I really love these new lands they've got. Trying to get uh, as many as I can for um, especially like uh, commander decks because they're a really fun way to to bling things out. Yeah. Um, I've been using them a lot too in uh, MTG Arena Mm -hmm. just because they're a little bit... uh, I feel like the artwork is more visible Mm -hmm. with these full arts uh, than with the uh, the regular ones. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting how they went to this sort of abstract way that these lands had always been lands. They they were literally vistas representing the the energy that they created, and then now they're the opposite in that there's no lands at all, and they just represent the energy that the land would create. And I like them. I like that they were very colorful, uh, very artistic. Um, I bought one box of Theros Beyond Death boosters and i i got you know several of those because there's one in every pack right and there's a couple that i got that were foil and those were even more impressive because that foiling process can really make elements stand out like those little specks of star starlight and such so that's what you've got to bling your deck out but those are those are much more premium yeah for sure I know those are going for a few bucks a piece even too, so yeah. uh, getting a full set of them for like a larger deck would be a little bit, uh, not terrible, but yeah, not easy either. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some people were even calling them, because they look like just the energy, uh, some people were calling them like Pokemon energy cards, because <laughs> they're a little reminiscent of those, and yeah. I, I can see it, but... I really like the the galaxy motif and how these look like um, nebulas where yeah. the stars are birthed from. So mm-hmm. I'm not well versed in the the whole lore of Theros, but uh, I hear people referring to them as Nyx lands. And uh, to my knowledge, that's like the plane of the the gods, because there's the Theros, the mortal plane or the mortal place. And the Nyx is where the gods are, which would be like Mount Olympus in the real world analog. And then there's the underworld, which is like a Hades or whatever. So these are the, the Nyx lands, the ones from, from, the, from the gods themselves. And I definitely see how they could be 
referred to as the Pokemon Lands. Even though I didn't really play Pokemon, my youngest brother did. That was his card game back in the late 90s. But uh, I, I definitely see how they are of a different style than the usual Magic cards. But seeing them in person and playing with them and digitally, I, I, I like them. Yeah, I do too. There's something different too, you know. Mm. Uh, we have the the regular art uh, lands from this new block, but you've got these special full art lands that are uh, different from what we usually get. And I think that's that's something I can appreciate. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, I have to lodge a tiny complaint. I bought a box of uh, of Theros boosters and also one of the uh, the bundles, the one that came with ten additional ones, because I wanted the the die and the other little premium things. the The quality of the bundle cards I felt were, they were printed much darker than the regular boosters. If I hold up the the same card that I got in both print runs or whatever the ones from the bundle are much darker and that's kind of unfortunate they almost look counterfeit huh it's a little bit weird i actually hadn't uh, heard about that yet i know they've been trying out some different uh, card stock mm -hmm. is what i heard mm -hmm. um and i think this is one of the first sets that we've seen with some of that new card stock so i wonder if that might be why um, most likely yeah, most yeah. likely. If uh, it's especially noticeable in any of the cards that are are black, or actually the um, the swamp. If I hold up like a a bundle printing versus a booster box printing, the bundle is like really dark, and you and you can't even see some of the detail that the regular printing has. Hmm. So hopefully that's just some growing pains of them figuring out what the uh, best process to print is. But um, I I got some of those. So they're still playable, of course, but they are noticeable um, in any sort of deck where you have more than one of. But if I put some of them in Commander, if there's only one of each, well, no one's really going to notice much. True. Have you noticed that they also seem to, depending what stores you go to, if you pick up a booster pack in real life, there might be the USA printing and the Japanese printings? I actually haven't really seen that too much around here. Might just be more the uh, stores out near me, though. Mm -hmm. um, I know that they were able to get a couple of the Japanese uh, booster boxes for War of the Spark, because uh, those are really popular with those mm -hmm. alternate art planeswalkers. Mm -hmm. uh, but not really too many of the other sets that I've seen. It's, this is a really interesting sort of like variation because the the comic shop where I, I bought a loose a couple of loose boosters, they they had it's it's all completely in English, but on the back it says manufactured in Japan, where uh, from the other comic shop that I go to, or if I get them elsewhere, those say manufactured in the USA. And the ones in Japan, it seems like there's just like a, like, like a few centimeters of, uh, or millimeters of extra material in the booster pack. Like they feel loose, like there's an extra amount of space there. Whereas the USA ones are like, you know, tight up against the cards. 
and uh, the cardstock is also slightly different. So I wonder if there's any sort of interesting story behind that, the, the different printings, the Japanese manufacturing versus U.S., and, and uh, if there's any sort of like different rarities or something. I'm not sure. There might be. Um, I haven't noticed that myself, though. Mm-hmm. Not yet, anyway. Mm-hmm. We'll see if we may get more of those uh, over the next couple of sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm probably going to get a, a booster box for the next set because I heard that um, for uh, what's this new one? They actually just had some information about it, Ikoria. Yeah. Uh, so for the next booster box of Ikoria, they're going to have uh, box toppers in addition to uh, your your buy a box promos. Oh, that's cool. I hadn't heard that. I've got to go check the, the latest info. The last time they had the box toppers was, I think, with Ultimate Masters, but that was a set that was pretty expensive for most people. Yeah, so apparently this one's going to be just a regular standard set, but they're doing box toppers with it as well. Uh, so that'll be really nice. Um, I think they announced that last week, maybe? Uh, there's also some additional information today, because uh, I guess Hasbro's having uh, like a convention or something, hmm. a Hasbro Toy Fair, and so they're showing off uh, like the product boxes hmm. without revealing too much information. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw briefly on someone's tweet that there was a photo of the of the box. Um, I think it also it already had some boosters inside, so. It's kind of interesting to to know that, well, they they print this stuff, I guess, some time in advance, and they have it ready to go when everything ships, I guess. But uh, on, on the one hand, it's kind of cool to see what we're going to get. But on the other hand, I... Uh, I'm not, I don't care too much about spoilers and such in movies, but I kind of feel like I do care in magic. Like I, I didn't really want to know like all of the, all of the sets that were going to be released in 2020. They told us about it at the end of 2019 and they said, here's what's coming in 2020. Uh, Return to Theros and Ikoria 2021 and New Zendikar. And like, okay, that's interesting, but I would have kind of rather just have been spoiled like a few, one or two months in advance, not a whole year in advance. True. I guess I'm kind of the opposite. I, I enjoy having the but uh, I guess it kind of adds to the allure because all <laughs> we really have at this point is just the name. So mm-hmm. uh, it leads to a lot of speculation of, uh, you know, Ikoria, Lair of Behemoths. Like, what's that going to be? Yeah. Uh, is it just going to be a bunch of big monsters or is it going to be... Um, focus more around the 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 planeswalkers who might be going there mm-hmm. you know yeah i understand that. that 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 makes sense uh giving people just a little bite of the apple lets them uh or makes them uh, hungry for more and then like you said speculation and interest in the game and the company and more people play more magic is more good yeah for sure I think now is probably one of the best times to get into it with Arena and everything. Yeah, it's definitely a great learning tool. It's a great place to teach beginners and have them play at their own pace and then hopefully also have them play paper and meet new people to play with and everyone's playing and happy. Yeah. So, general closing thoughts on uh, Theros Beyond Death on a scale of uh, 1 to 9,000. How hyped are you in Theros Beyond Death? Um, 
I'd say probably about a seven or eight. Okay. Uh, pretty high up there. Yes. Um, I feel like there's a few things that could have been maybe a little bit better. And uh, um, you got a few of those mythics and rares were really sought after, but um, I think what they excelled at, at this time around was really uh, more in the uh, commons and uncommons more than anything. And the, the mm. design of the cards uh, worked really well. I agree. The uh, the escape mechanic is really interesting that in in the long-term games, you have cards that you can keep playing over and over as long as you've got the payment cards in the graveyard. What did you think in general about that new mechanic? I wasn't sure how I was going to like it when I first saw it uh, revealed, but uh, as time goes on, I'm finding it kind of using things back. Especially like some of the ones with uh, cheaper exile, like uh, Sentinel's Eyes I've been using <laughs> a lot. So it's a, an enchantment for one. Uh, it gives the enchanted creature plus one, plus one in Vigilance. Uh, and if it goes to the graveyard, you can bring it back for one white mana and then two cards exiled from your graveyard. Mm -hmm. uh, so that one's pretty cheap and easy to keep bringing back. Mm -hmm. uh, I know a lot of people have been using... Uh, the, the titans especially though yeah because those have some really fun effects yeah the one i've been playing with is uro uh that's the three mana titan that when it comes into the battlefield it draws you a card and gains you three life then it goes straight to the to the graveyard and you've got to escape it with five i believe and then four mana in total and then then you can keep it so you can get like a quick burst of a card plus life for three mana. And then later on, you've got the four mana plus the exile cards and you get a six, six as well. Yeah. And I know that there is technically a way if you can, if you can respond to your own trigger and, and go full control and everything. Mm -hmm. um, if you can counter the ability that has Uro sacrifice itself, you can mm -hmm. uh, technically keep it on the field without having to escape it. Oh yeah, that would be with, uh, for example, Tail's End. I use that uh, blue counter spell a lot. That one counters triggered or activated abilities. So if you've got the three mana for Uro and then you've got the two mana for Tail's End, if you've got five mana, you can get a uh, you can get that six six without it uh, first going to a little trip to the graveyard. Yeah, it's a fun little way of uh, cheating things out. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting how people can just figure out with the collective hive mind of everyone online and trying strategies day and night, people can figure out interesting things to do. Yeah. It's also really fun to uh, gather all that information before the uh, big events and then uh, compare and contrast afterwards once you have, you know, the pro decks and see what they brought. Mm -hmm. uh, try and figure out what works and what doesn't work the most mm -hmm. yeah i remember playing with uh those uh, theros beyond death cards on arena and i went to the pre-release for arena i think on saturday and so it's it's a little bit of that extra help that arena gives you to then play in real life so that the cards aren't as confusing as if a person had just rolled up at that moment and started cracking packs. So that's kind of cool to be able to get some of that early access. Yeah. yeah. It's a fun way of discovering the mechanics without having to need a judge to 
uh, learn how they work exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been so many instances of Arena helping me understand something that even if I read and reread the card, I don't fully get it. But then if I were to play it, because it guides you just enough, I then understand it digitally and then I can apply it in uh, in tabletop. Yeah. So as we wind down, final thoughts on anything at all magic related, either magic in 2019 or magic in 2020. Are you planning on going in any uh, any pre-releases? I sh- am probably going to try to hit up a couple of physical releases this year. Uh, I haven't really done that in the past, uh, and I know I'm not so good with limited, uh, but I'm going to try and get better at that this year. Mm-hmm. So I think for some of the next sets that are coming out, I'm going to try to uh, go to my local game shop and uh, get one of the pre-release packs and play around with that. Mm-hmm. I went to a pre-release for War of the Spark, and then I just couldn't quite find the time for the next few sets. But then I did go for uh, Theros Beyond Death, and uh, it was it was pretty fun seeing the real-life versions of the cards and trying to put together a deck from that pre-release pack and... And then getting some some little goodies and such there. So if you're able to do it at least once, um, I would recommend it. It is a it is a different experience than the than the digital way. That's after all, it's the gathering part of Magic: The Gathering. Yeah, definitely have to check it out at some point. So let's uh, let the listeners know one more time. Where can they find you online? Maybe your stream schedule and such, and we'll get some traffic sent on over your way. All right. If you uh, want to find me online, I'm at Zariah.tv, Z-E-R-I-A-8, um, twitch.tv slash Zariah, and Twitter at Zariah underscore B. Weeknights, uh, usually Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Uh, I stream starting at 10 p.m. Central, uh, and then Saturdays, usually around 1 or 2 p.m. Central. Uh, get a little bit of longer stream in the afternoons. Very good. Um, I've got my own website as well, vmcompost.com. People can go check that out. Um, I need to update it because I just now have started offering merch. So if people are interested in a cool VM Compost t-shirt, I'm starting to sell those. The address for that is merch.streamelements.com slash vmcompost. There's a couple of different shirts there's a there's a hoodie in there. There's a mouse pad. There's a mug. So we'll see if uh, people want to get their very own VM Compost merchandise. So that's what I'll promote for the moment. All right, I have to check that out myself. I haven't gotten a I haven't gotten around to making my own merch yet, but I'm working on it. I thought I'd jump in and see how it goes. I think sometimes people are interested in physical things. We live in such a, a virtual world that maybe having a real life thing might be fun as well. True. Well, Zariah, thank you so much for being on the podcast again to uh, talk about magic with me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Hope to have you on again soon enough. Sounds good to me. This has been VM Campos, and I'll see you in the arena. <laughs>